Welcome to Legacy Fundraising Chat, where we talk about everything legacy-related to help you as a fundraiser generate more interest amongst your supporters in legacy giving. I'm your host, Sunita Godu, founder of Persuasion and Legacy Marketer, providing consultancy, training, coaching, and interim legacy support to small to medium-sized charities. I'm delighted that the National Free Wills Network is sponsoring my podcast. They allow you to offer your supporters a free solicitor written will anywhere in the UK, and the charity receives full measurable results. With 15 years of experience and over 500 million raised in future income for charities, the network can help charities of all shapes and sizes launch and maximise their legacy programmes. To find out more, visit nationalfreewills.net. Hello listener, welcome to episode 31 about what I learned as a judge at the Legacy Giving Awards that will help you in your legacy marketing. So the Smeon Ford Legacy Awards took place on the 27th of April and I had the pleasure of not just being a judge, which was an honour in itself, but also chairing one of the panel discussion sessions. There was so much learning that came from both of those experiences that I feel that you can apply into your legacy marketing. So I'm going to share those with you in this episode. So what did my role entail? As one of the judges, I was assessing the entries based on the set criteria. Some of the outcomes that I was looking out for were based on excellence, impact and innovation. So what were my findings? Charities that I felt displayed these strengths were those that collaborated across their organisations, therefore making the most of every opportunity to talk about legacies and also across different audiences. And those that thought ahead as to why they were doing a particular form of marketing and what they expected to achieve and what they were planning to do next were definitely more successful. And I felt that their actual entries were far more compelling. The entries that stood out were those also that told stories. I actually felt compelled to want to support the cause in some way. So what did I learn from the entries? I learned that small means that you can still be impactful and draw supporters to a very local need and how legacies have met those needs. You can still run an integrated campaign that encompasses a number of different channels, radio, newspaper, bus ads, in a short amount of time. And the benefit of this is that charities are able to concentrate their efforts, plan it in advance and get all hands to deck. I felt the struggle and the triumph of those stories and where the legacy made an absolute difference really stood out. I felt the small charities were just as effective as the larger ones in some ways because it seemed that they were able to implement legacies as they had shorter lines of communication. Smaller budgets mean that you can still do something. With bigger budgets, it might take longer to decide what to actually do. So actually on the day of the Legacy Awards, it was incredibly inspiring to meet so many legacy professionals, meet the winners and give out an award too, and also meet some of my listeners. So what I learned on the panel from other charities, the session I was chairing was called Maximising the Impact of Legacies at Your Charity. Now the Smee and Ford 
2022 Trends Report had just revealed that last year had the highest year in legacy income. So the question that was on everyone's lips and we were asked to debate, how do you manage this additional focus on legacy income in your charity? We agreed that we needed to remind our colleagues in the charity and senior leadership team that legacy is just one piece of the pie, not to get reliant on it, and it still requires investment and drive and dedicated focus. Legacy simply will just not come in without this attention. And another question as a panel we were asked to debate is, is this growing reliance on legacy income during these really hard times, good or bad for the sector? And my thoughts on this are, it's good if you've started on a legacy journey, if you've got a strong marketing plan in place, a robust strategy that when put under scrutiny, it still holds up. However, it's not so good if you haven't started. Because where else will your income come from if people aren't giving to you now and you don't have that pipeline of legacies trickling in? But it's never too late to start. And another question was how do you go about getting buy-in from boards and managing those internal expectations? So my thoughts around this are you can't be the sole person flying the legacy flag. You are biased, let's face it. You want to protect your budget and ultimately your job. You need to get on board the most senior management team members. Get their support, get them championing legacies so they can present the case to the board. In addition to that, you need to get your finance director on the legacy train as well. They can be hugely influential as the board will naturally turn to them for advice and steering. If your financial director is saying that legacies is a good investment, you'll get your budget. In addition to that, you want your trustee, treasurer and the finance subcommittee, if you have one, to be on that legacy train too. Another thing is you need evidence and that is based on knowing your numbers. So number one, show the history of legacies that you've received and the impact. Does your board know what percentage of income comes from this stream and the impact those gifts have had. You've got to know the link between legacy marketing and legacy income. Going back to the point earlier that legacies don't just come in, although it might feel that way if you don't know who your legators are. Looking at your marketing and your legacy income, where have your legacy inquirers and pledges come from? Know your inquirer to pledger conversion rate and your pledger to legator conversion rate. What is your average legacy value? Look back over the last five years. That's a powerful statistic in itself. And look at gifts that you've received, the date of when that legacy was put into someone's will and when you've actually received it. That's your conversion rate as well. And this is where the SME and for portal is hugely valuable. And when you're forecasting income, give three scenarios. Give a low, medium and high return. 
Don't overinflate your forecast numbers and link this back to investment and your stewardship plan. Put in the need to have a dedicated legacy person if you don't already have that in place. And if you haven't received legacies to date, what can you do? Use other comparable charities as your benchmark. Do the research. Speak to other legacy managers from these charities. And another question was that we know that recruiting for legacy managers is very difficult. And will this legacy income success of 2022 entice people into the role? I'm not actually convinced that that alone would, as the barriers still exist around non-legacy professionals often thinking legacy fundraising is about talking about death. Then there is the confidence around stepping into an area that, although not difficult, does require sensitivity and empathy. I think this is where leadership teams are key in helping to identify fundraisers within their team that have those transferable skills. For example, community fundraisers are great conversationalists and often excellent planners. Skills that are needed for legacy events and project management and of course, giving legacy talks. And a direct marketing professional can apply the same formulaic approaches to a legacy direct mail piece or a telemarketing campaign. These skills exist within non-legacy fundraising professionals is something I am always scouting for when I'm supporting a client to recruit for a legacy role. In addition to that, CEO Catherine Woodhead of the Muscular Dystrophy Charity and wants to see legacy managers step into head of fundraising and CEO roles, and then naturally being legacy marketing drivers. So in summary, the legacy sector and all the professionals in it are hugely supportive. Again, this was evident at the awards. So where you are now was where somebody once was. Don't get disheartened and don't compare your legacy income or programme to people that have been doing this for years ahead of you. Galvanise the support across your charity. Be bold and ask to have those meetings with your finance director and other finance key leaders. Remember, you're all trying to achieve the same thing. And that is to raise as much money for your cause so you can deliver your charity's mission. Get familiar with the statistics I mentioned. What is a legacy worth to your organisation? What are your conversion rates for your legacy marketing and when people actually pledge? Being a small charity has many advantages. Think about your strengths and incorporate these into your legacy plans and in your messaging. Be confident. There will be things that will go exceptionally well and others that won't. It's a learning experience. You can minimise the risk by planning and being informed. And if you haven't yet got a legacy programme, just start. Listener, can I ask you a favour? If you have gained something from one of my episodes that has helped you, 
Could you please share this podcast with at least one other fundraiser or legacy professional? My mission is to reach as many people as possible so no one has to feel like a legacy lone ranger. And finally, can you please give yourself some appreciation for where you are right now and for taking the time to learn and grow in this area? Whether it's a pat on the back or a fist thump in the air or a dance, know that you're doing amazing. Until next time.